Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Okay, so DNA. DNA. Why DNA? Well, basically, the aim of this session is to just break down the vision and values, the position and practices that are unique to us as Calvary Chapel, South London. Scripture makes it clear that Jesus is the head of the church. You see that in Ephesians 5, Colossians 1, 1 Corinthians 11, that Jesus built his church according to his pattern and purpose. We are the sheep of his pasture. And yet we see in 1 Corinthians 12 that there is diversity within the church, not just among us as individuals, but also amongst local expressions of the church. There's diversity. So if there wasn't diversity, the reality is that we would walk into any church anywhere and have exactly the same experience. But that happened. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Sometimes people kind of try and resist diversity and difference in, in the, 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 the cause of unity. But because we're different, it doesn't mean that we're not united. And we see here in the way that the Lord's established the body, 1 Corinthians 12, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And so as we consider verse 5, differences of ministries, coordinated and organized acts of service. We recognize that we at Calvary Chapel South London are different to other churches and that's the way that God would have it. So what is it that makes us different and what is it that makes us distinct? Now, I'm going to unpack that and kind of give some insight to our history and so on. As I go through this session, I'm going to encourage you to take notes. I really am going to encourage you to take notes. Now, some of this information you will get given to you in written form. But it's good for you to take notes anyway. You know, we're always about promoting active listening. I see all the teachers smiling at me because they know all about that. Active listening helps save your mind from wandering and wondering, you know, what's happening in EastEnders Omnibus later or uh, is it going to be another long one this morning? In order for it not to be another long one, I'm going to give you references for you to go away and look up according to your need. And so I'm not going to be reading copious scriptures, but I'm putting the homework on you. Amen? Praise God. I'm sure you're pleased to hear that. So, just a little idea of our history with regards to Calvary Chapel, South London. Um, we realize that many of you are quite new to us as a church. And you don't really know our background and where we're coming from and how we've came, come into existence. History. Founding pastors, myself, Ephraim, um, Pastor Rob, and Pastor Patrick. I was going to put some old school pictures up there, but <laughs> time wouldn't permit. Um, just to kind of give you an idea of when we came to faith and just God's work in our lives. Um, Rob baptized in October 89. October 89. He's going to recommend the edit right there. Talk to him, bro. Talk to him. Married October 90. 
Okay, my bad. And ordained, we were ordained together at the York Pastors Conference. I'll talk more about that. Pastor P baptized around September 1990. And his wife. And Robert's wife as well. Same time, same time. And got married April 92. 91, sorry, sorry, sorry. April 91. So how much is that this year, bruv? You, you, you're on what? 20 years of marriage come October. To the same woman. <laughs> not to each other. <laughs> Feels like it, not really. And yet, Pastor P, married in 91, we're looking at 19 years this year. And so God has been truly gracious to us. Um, I was baptized in April 86 and married in August 91. So we've, we've kind of come quite a journey and we actually knew each other. I met Robert and Helen just after they got married. And I met Patrick and Sarah just before they got married. It was a couple months before you got married. I was, I was at your wedding. So we've known each other the whole of that time. And God has been truly gracious to us in keeping us in the faith and preserving our friendship and relationships with one another. Amen. Okay. Um, experience. We, we were involved in evangelistic music ministry for about eight to nine years um, before joining Calvary Chapel in Westminster. We taught a Bible study for three to four years before we planted the church, um, Calvary Chapel, South London. Um, we were appointed to the Board of Elders at Westminster um, before we planted. Um, in terms of our kind of call to the ministry, it was something that was identified in us um, in as much as there was some latent desire in us. We were not chasing ministry. We were not chasing position. We were not running after status and power. We, we had to be encouraged very persuasively by Pastor Brian. And, you know, he sat down with us on one notable occasion, but on a few occasions after that and said, look, you know what? God is obviously doing a work among you guys. And you really need to start thinking about planting a church because, you know, that's part of our DNA, church planting. And we were like, mm, ah, we'd be teaching this Bible study. And for a chain of events, God just made it clear, look, you know what? This is my will and my purpose for you. And so um, in 2003, we were ordained at the York Pastors Conference that they have every year um, for the UK Calvaries. And it was, it was a memorable occasion on, on any account, but especially for us at that time, because it was one of the few occasions when Pastor Chuck was here in the country at the Pastors Conference. And he basically kind of, um, led the prayer of ordination over us at that time. And so it was Pastor Chuck, um, Brian Broderson, John Corson, Bill Gallatin, um, and Dave Sylvester, who kind of oversees the UK Calvaries, um, who were all there with us and praying over us as we were commissioned to ministry. And um, <laughs> it was kind of funny because um, it just worked out like that. It wasn't planned to be like that. It was obviously God's plan for it to be like that. And it seemed at the time, I don't know if you guys remember, that certain brothers were kind of like, almost like jealous. They say, wow, you have Pastor Chuck pray over you at your, your ordination. And in my mind, I was thinking, you know what, as long as the Lord is pleased with me, you know what, I don't really mind who it is as long as they're obviously in the right place themselves. And so we're just grateful to God for the fact that there was a clear sending out and for the fact that there is clear accountability um, as comes with being sent out. And, you know, obviously you can be reassured of that. 
So that's a kind of brief view of our history. And let me give you a brief view of the essentials that formulate the basis of our fellowship. Um, you may have heard us say it before and you will hear us say it again. Calvary Chapel, South London is a fellowship of believers worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not a social club. And it's that that unites us. It is that that forms the common ground upon which we stand. You know, if you want to kind of just come because there are people that you like, you share things in common, you like the same kind of music, you support the same team or you're into football, whatever, then there are other places you can go for that. And if you come with that as your kind of main purpose, you will get frustrated, you will get upset. Because there are going to be so many things about our relationships that will challenge that. And so it's essential that we recognize the ground upon which our fellowship is based. And fundamentally, there are essentials. There are the essentials of the faith, the Christian faith, which form the common ground upon which we stand. Amen? We believe in the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture. That the Bible, Old and New Testaments are the inspired, infallible word of God in its original transmission. We believe that God is eternally existent in three distinct persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We believe that God is the personal, transcendent and sovereign creator of all things. Now, as I'm going through these, you will find that these are, I'm sure, familiar to you. Um, these are based on what is known as the Apostles' Creed, and it is that which was defined by the early church as being the tenets of the Christian faith. We believe that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human, that he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, provided for the atonement of our sins by his substitutionary death on the cross, was bodily raised from the dead, ascended back to the right hand of the Father and ever lives to make intercession for us. Amen. We believe that all people are by nature separated from God and responsible for their own sin, but that salvation, redemption and forgiveness are freely offered to all by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When a person repents of sin, and submits to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, trusting him alone to save, that person is immediately born again and sealed by the Holy Spirit. All his slash her sins are forgiven, and that person becomes a child of God, destined to spend eternity with the Lord. Amen? We believe that after Jesus ascended to heaven, he poured out his Holy Spirit on the church, enabling them to fulfill his command to preach the gospel to the entire world as his witnesses. We believe in the personal, visible second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. He will return with his saints to judge sin, reward the righteous with eternal blessedness and the unrighteous with eternal punishment and set up a kingdom of which there will be no end. Amen? Amen. So they're the essentials. They're the things that form the core beliefs of the Christian church and us as Calvary Chapel, South London. They're the non-negotiables. They're the things that, you know, there are loads of different things and we'll touch on some in a while that we can negotiate on and scripture might not be crystal clear on. And there are certain mysteries we see hidden in scripture that people have been debating for decades and generations, centuries. But these factors are not them. This is the basis of our fellowship. And if there are things in there that you are diametrically opposed to, that you don't agree with, then we will willingly help you to understand the teaching of scripture regarding them but if you choose to say, I don't agree with that, then we'll say, okay, well, look, you're welcome to come. But I'm sure that it's going to actually be a very frustrating experience for you. 
And we couldn't admit you into membership. <clears throat> so they're the essentials. Moving on. Vision and values. So, we would imagine that every Christian church believes and agrees to the essentials. But then the distinctions begin to materialize. And so, what's our vision as Calvary Chapel, South London? What is the calling and purpose to which we feel called for such a time as this, in such a place as this? Now, quite frankly, it shouldn't be rocket science. And when people's vision and values kind of become much more complicated than scripture, it is actually a cause for us to kind of step back and think twice and be a little concerned. Because at the end of the day, we're just supposed to be working out the word, right? So, vision and values. Calvary Chapel, South London, is to be a healthy and vibrant community of worshippers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Equipped to disciple and effective in outreach. To the glory of God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's quite straightforward. The mandate of the church as we see in scripture is to go and make disciples. And in order to make disciples, disciples need to be strengthened and equipped. Let me break down a, a couple clauses in there just for clarification because it seems like quite a simple statement. But there is thinking behind it. Healthy and vibrant. Not sickly or reproachable. Now in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, we see that the Lord addresses seven churches. And there's only one church that he has nothing bad to say about. The church of Philadelphia. To the others, he says, yeah, I see your good works, but I have this against you. I see this, but. And we see that the church of Philadelphia was a picture of a healthy church. We recognize that we can meet in the name of Jesus and we can sustain fellowship. But does that necessarily mean that our fellowship is healthy and our worship of God is healthy and fruitful? And so it's, it's not just about meeting together, but it's about doing so in a healthy way. So that by God's grace, he would have nothing to say to us should the Lord appear among us and say to the church of Calvary Chapel, South London, I say this. Community of worshippers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as mentioned before, Jesus is the head of the church. We are Christ-centric in that we recognize Christ alone is the means of salvation. And it is through him that we are able to worship God. Again, as mentioned before, that is the purpose and focus of our gathering together. We don't gather together in the name of Man United or the Rotary Club or whoever, whatever. Not even in the name of Calvary Chapel. It's actually in the name of Jesus that we gather. And it is the purpose for our being. The purpose that informs and undergirds all of our relationships. Now, you see that it's come up twice and we're stressing it. Because it's so important. It sets the tone and direction of all that we are and all that we do. John 4, 23, 24, Colossians 3, 17 talks about the fact that our, our entire life and purpose can be summed up as worship. In all that we're doing, we're to glorify the Lord. Amen. Equip to disciple and effective in outreach. So us fellowshipping together as a church is not just about us being intellectually stimulated. It's not just about us learning new things in scripture. It's about that, but it's also about our walk. 
It's about the word, but also about our walk. It's about biblical information, but also character formation. That's true discipleship. Jesus didn't just call the 12 and hold seminars and preach sermons, but he walked with them and helped them to apply the word to their lives and walk it out, work out the truth of the word. So it's important that we are steeped in the word, that we're understanding the word, that we're growing in the knowledge of the truth, but that we are being transformed by it. Romans 12, 2 is a, is a classic scripture, among others noted there. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. That's, you know, it speaks of the fact that we're to be not conformed to the world, but that we are to be changed, transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's a, a, a summary of discipleship right there. You can go to the next one. That was covered anyway. Values. What are the things that are important to us? So, we're Christians. We meet together in the name of the Lord. What are the things that are important to us as a church, as a local expression of the church? What are the things that are completely in tune with our pulse as Calvary Chapel, South London. Well, in Acts 2, 42 to 47, we see highlighted four distinct areas. Firstly, we see that the disciples continued in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine. Even at the birth of the early church, there were many other teachings in existence. I mean, the church was birthed out of Judaism. So, the fact that the teaching, which is the meaning of the word doctrine, defined body of teaching, is recognized as being the apostles' teaching, separates it and... and, and um, identifies it as being unique from other teaching. It wasn't just the teaching of the Torah and the teaching of Moses, but it was the teaching of the apostles who were special messengers commissioned by Jesus. And even today, there are many other teachings that exist, even professed by those who claim to be Christians. Teachings that are not consistent with the apostles' doctrine. As we find revealed in the, in, the, in the totality of scripture. And so, yes, we're given to teaching the word, but according to that which was authoritatively handed down by the apostles. We see fellowship. Fellowship of the saints. They continued in fellowship daily breaking bread from house to house. Fellowship is actually a fundamental part of Christian life. It is not an optional extra, but it is fundamental to our life as believers. And when I say fellowship, I don't just mean Sundays. I don't just mean when we gather for our worship services on a Sunday morning. Because if we're all honest with ourselves, and many of us don't need any encouragement in this regard, we would say that this, ain't, this don't come like real fellowship. I don't really feel that I'm getting to know anyone and anyone's getting to know me. I don't really feel that people are kind of understanding the issues that I'm facing in my walk or the challenges I have understanding certain texts. This is a worship service. We come together to worship around the reception of the word. As Paul said to Timothy, give yourself to the public declaration of the word. There has to be those occasions where that's the focal point. We come together and worship God in praise and lift up our prayers unto him. 
But fellowship is so much more than that. And it has to be so much more than that because we're disciples. And so fellowship is a, is a key and fundamental aspect of the Christian life that we are all called to as believers. And we see that in Acts 2, people were welcomed into fellowship having been baptized, having openly and publicly professed Christ as Lord and master of their lives. And so on that basis, they were welcomed into fellowship and the ongoing expression of their fellowship was the breaking of bread, sharing in communion regularly. We see prayer was fundamental to the inception and life of the early church. With that, I've tagged on praise. In that section of scripture, we don't see it specifically stated, but we recognize that it was also a fundamental part of the early church life. And even if you wanted to consider and look at praise as being, as the Psalms are, you, you look, we, look, we look at the Psalms and often we just read them and we see that, you know, it's David or other psalmists talking to God, sharing their heart, pouring out their heart to God. But actually, Psalms are all songs. And it could be so easy as we read that, you know, from moment to moment to actually forget the fact that actually, you know what, these were songs. And so, giving praise to God with the fruit of our lips is also a fundamental part of our fellowship and worship of him. And then, mission, evangelism and church planting. Again, fundamental to the inception of the church, the mandate of the church. And again, we see it in, in verse 47 of the text there that they added to the church daily as such as would be saved. And so we must be missional, not even just, oh, well, we kind of do evangelism. I do other things and, and whilst I'm doing other things, I kind of fit a bit of evangelism in now and then or we have an evangelism program and the, the program's fulfilled, but when the program's finished, then we kind of kick back and, you know, we're not evangelistic anymore. Mission is so much more than just evangelism. Mission is a way of life. Mission is a mindset. Mission is, a, is an ongoing expression of our commitment to Christ. Okay. I'll read through these. I'm sorry you can't see the ones in red. It is important our worship of God should be biblical. Therefore, we place great emphasis upon teaching the word of God according to the apostles' doctrine that he might instruct us how he should be worshipped. It is important our worship of God should be relational. Therefore, we esteem the church as the visible body of Christ into which we gain admission through baptism and the ongoing expression of breaking the bread as we worship. It is important our worship of God should be fruitful. Therefore, we look for his love in our lives as the supreme manifestation that we have truly been worshipping him as we fellowship one with another. It is important our worship of God should be inspirational. Therefore, we give great place to expressing our hearts in prayer and to the praise of our God through the use of music in our worship. It is important our worship of God should be missional. Therefore, we are committed to make disciples that make disciples through proclamational and relational evangelism and church planting as an outflow of our worship. It is important our worship of God should be spiritual. Therefore, we remain flexible and yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit to direct our worship. So they're the things that, as far as our life as a local expression of the church go, those things are important to us. 
these things are our, our, our core values that temper and shape the nature of our fellowship and the, and the way in which we fellowship one with another. You know? Now, there are other issues, issues that they're not essential issues. They're convictions with regards to certain aspects of scripture. They're things that other people may disagree with us concerning and we're happy to disagree agreeably and we still love them as our brother and sisters because we recognize that we share common ground in our conviction and our standing on the essentials. And there are a number of things that are non-essential issues but based on searching the scriptures one may be given to take a, a particular view or another. Now, the first thing I'd say before we look at those non-essentials is this. The non-essential issues are such that there should never be division over them. There should never be division over non-essential issues. These things are not essential to our salvation. These things may um, influence how we relate to one another, they may influence our worship of God, but ultimately, these are not the things that make or break us as to whether or not we're Christians. And so, one of the things that we as elders have always maintained and seek to encourage is a fellowship of the thinking. You know, we say, we've got to be like Bereans. As you hear us up here teaching the word, you've got to be making notes and searching the scriptures like the Bereans did in Acts 17 when they listened to the Apostle Paul. They listened to the, the great Apostle Paul, you know. And yet it says they went away and searched the scriptures to see that it was so. And, and they were commended by the Apostle Paul for that. He weren't offended by it. He said, you guys are noble. And so this is what we encourage, noble Christianity, that you wouldn't just receive the word and swallow it because, you know, Pastor Robert said it. And he's been a Christian, like, you know, 20 years. Uh-uh. Search the scriptures. And there are going to be things that you might look at and based on where you're at and your understanding, you may differ with what you hear taught. It should never be an issue. For separation and division. Because we're thinking people growing in our understanding. Nobody has a monopoly on knowledge. Particularly the knowledge of God. The only one who could have a monopoly on the knowledge of God is God, right? Because he's eternal. We will spend eternity learning new things about God. And so we mustn't be as arrogant and proud as to, you know, take a position in one of these non-essentials and feel that we cannot be questioned and you have to see it my way or casting you off as a heathen. So some of the non-essentials. Pneumatology, the personal work of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Many people have come to Calvary Chapel, South London and say, you guys don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, do you? Because they don't see us encouraging the speaking of tongues in the services and other such things. They say, you've got no power. Well, we do believe in the expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit among us. As long as it is within the biblical framework, presented for their expression and so there are many things that are done by other churches and other Christians and they have a conviction as to it being acceptable but we don't share that conviction with regards to the gifts and furthermore we recognize that actually the greater matter of importance is love that we would sought to be used by the Lord that he would express his gifts through us. But because our faith is motivated by love, our faith is working by love for the edification of the body. 
eschatology, the study of last things, end times, the rapture of the church. Is it pre-trib? Is it post-trib? Is it mid-trib? Is it, what is trib? Yeah, my bad. What is trib? Well, there are different views as to when Jesus will come again for his people. And we done a set we done a set of teaching on it called The Times of the Signs. Back when we taught the book of Mark, and so you can look that up. And and order that to hear the detail of it. But there are certain things that we recognize the scripture does state. The scripture states that we have not been appointed unto, um, unto wrath. The scripture states that Jesus will deliver us from the wrath that is to come. And so if you look at scriptures like Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. We recognize that the time at which God chooses to pour out his wrath on this world, as he will, that we as his people will not be present enduring the outpouring of God's wrath. Why? Because Jesus already took our wrath. God's anger was poured out on Christ. So that we who believe would not have to face anger. And so, that much is clear. And our conviction, therefore, is that we, the people of God, will be called away by Jesus before his wrath is poured out. If you want the definition of the position, it's called pre-wrath. So, that's our conviction. We know that there's, again, much debate that may well go on. And yet, we're open to talk about it. We're not going to divide over it. Amen. Ecclesiology. That's one that I missed. Sorry. Ecclesia, the church, the set-apart people of God. Here we have what some consider a unique structure with regards to leadership. We have plurality. So we don't have a senior pastor or a head honcho in that regards. There are three of us who, at present, there's three of us who are elders. Um, We collectively share the leadership of the church. And this is based on what we've seen as being a pattern in scripture with regards to the New Testament. So again, references that you'll see there. um, Acts 20, 17, 1 Timothy 5, 1 Peter 5, Titus 1, Philippians 1. All have reference to elders in leadership of local church. And um, as the Lord led us to establish the ministry here at Calvary Chapel, South London, um, it was in view of those scriptures that we had great peace and confidence to enjoy all of the blessings and benefits that come with a plurality um, of elders. With regards to ministry within the local church, I mean, we bang on about it. It's all about body ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, all clearly picture the body of Christ working together, ministering to one another to the glory of God. And so don't think that it's just a spectator sport (laughs) coming to Calvary Chapel, South London. You know, I know what it's like to go to church for years and just warm the pews, warm the benches. I'd even have my own spot next to my granny. It was like, this is mother buckle seat. Uh-huh. But that's not the picture of church life we see. And so we are 
very proactive in promoting and encouraging body ministry. And not just in a formal sense, but in an informal sense. Fellowshipping one, with one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another. Recognizing it as being the biblical mandate and value, valuable in the sight of God. Missiology, mission. People have different approaches to being missional and evangelism and such like. Um, one of the things that the Lord has established just within our hearts and within our ethos and our approach is that we very much see mission as having two dynamics. We see mission as being a double-edged sword, if you like. On one hand, it is proclamational. There is the necessity to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. To make the gospel known. To inform people of the gospel. And yet also, there is a relational dynamic. Whereby as we do our good works before all men. Those within the communities that we exist in are able to glorify our Father in heaven. And very often, people may take, emphasize one side over the other. Oh, all of that, you know, mercy ministry, helping the homeless and, you know, single parents and so on. You know, that's, that's all, um, that's, 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 that's a cop out. You need to just preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel. Just preach. And then you've got people on the other hand, well, we, we have to be, you know, we have to be the gospel without words. All that preaching just gets in the way. Just, just, just love people and be kind and do good. But you know what? We see in scripture that actually the two are supposed to work together. It's not either or. And as the church has developed, we established the outreach ministry, urban mission, which really kind of... Um, embodies those two facets of mission on one hand it's proclamational on the other hand it's relational you get an event like god corner where we're out there bawling out the gospel all day and yet you get situations like urban mission schools and community where we're working in schools with young people doing socially constructive work in a means to build relationship with them so that we have then opportunity, we gain opportunity through those relationships to minister the gospel of life. So the two work hand in hand and we are absolutely besides ourselves with anticipation as to how our missional drive will grow as we become more surely established. Soteriology, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. <laughs> Too many people divide over such an issue. And there's been some recent controversy, which we've just observed with great interest. And yet... All we have to say is this, it's quite simple. We believe the Bible. We believe the Bible when it talks about the sovereignty of God. Now, let me break it down because some of you might not really kind of get what the issue is. There is a, a, a view of God's work in salvation that is known as Arminianism. And there is another view of God's work in salvation that is called Calvinism which are, you know, are not really helpful terms, but they're just commonly used terms out there. And very often, people that hold either view butt heads and clash and collide and look down on each other and so on and so forth. But you know what? At the end of the day, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign. And we see, you know, the Bible talks about predestination in Ephesians 1. It talks about predestination in Romans 8. 
And yet we see that on the other hand, there is, God's going to hold man accountable. He holds people accountable for their sin. And so how can someone not be held accountable if they're not responsible? And we see this communicated in John 3, 16, 1 Timothy 4, 10, 1 John 2, 2. And ultimately, salvation is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. It is a work of God. And yet people will be judged if they're not saved. And it's, to be honest, it's a mystery. And it's such that you just have to take the scripture as you read it. So I know in Acts 13, <laughs> I know Pastor Robert's been trying to duck this one. It's like, no, it's true. No, sorry, brother. I do you wrong. I do you wrong. I do you wrong. I do you wrong. He's been bracing himself. Uh, true? To, to, to clarify as much as is necessary within the context and the flow of the text. So in Acts 13, what is it, 42? 38? As as many, 48, as as many as were appointed unto salvation, unto eternal life, believed. As many as were appointed unto eternal life, believed. It says what it says. It says what it says. And so when we come across these scriptures, we just take them for what they say and, and recognize that we're mere mortals. We do not you know, Deuteronomy, is it 29, 29? says the hidden things are of the Lord. There's certain things in the whole framework of understanding these things that God has chosen to keep to himself. So who are we to try and pry it out of his hand? And so as far as we're concerned, we believe the Bible. We believe it when it says that we're predestined <laughs> and we've been appointed. And we believe it when it says whosoever will come. Um, oh, for the record, verses Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, Romans 8, 29 to 30, John 3, 16, 1 Timothy 4, 10, 1 John 2, 2, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, defining salvation as entirely a work of God, Romans 3, 23, all of sin, Matthew 12, 36, and Acts 17, 31, speaking of man's responsibility before God and the fact that he will judge man. Okay. So, other things, apart from our kind of convictions with regards to certain positions, what about certain practices? And this is going to be particularly relevant if someone has any kind of church background. So if you've just kind of come to the Lord and you're not really kind of with church and church traditions and so on, this won't really matter that much to you. But for some of us who've kind of got some history and some experience, we've been around the block a minute, things like tithes and offerings, it's like we've had numerous people, do you not believe in the law of the tithe? That the Lord might add the increase. Huh. Well, not based on Malachi 4, we don't. We don't believe in the law of the tithe. Christ has fulfilled the law for us. Galatians 3.13. And so therefore, how can we then go back and put New Testament believers under the law if Christ has redeemed us from the law? So it is a misuse and a misunderstanding of the text to say that you are legally bound to give a tenth of your income. Now you would think that as pastors, we wouldn't be trying to make that known. We would just skip this slide. <laughs> if you want to think that, yeah, that's up to you. Give your tenth. You got people that pull out the thumb screws and they distress it 
and 40% of their service is offering time. Some say 60, but 80, you know. <laughs> yeah. But that's not godly. That's not healthy. And it's not based on a true understanding of the text. So no, we don't believe in the law of the tithe. The Bible says that we're under a new law, which is actually a higher law. And it's the law of love. That we're to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so love is supposed to be that which motivates our giving. It is love for God and for his people that would motivate us to give. And I've always had been of the conviction, you know what? If a person is motivated by love and they're able, they won't be limited by the law of the tithe. You know, you've got certain Christians, well-known artists and musicians and so on, in Christian circles, who have got to a place where their income is so great that they don't, they don't tithe in a sense of in making sure they give 10%. I don't know what you would call uh, 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 90% giving, like a, a ninth. But these guys are like, you know what? I can live on 10% and so give the rest of my income to the work of the ministry. Now imagine if they were bound by the law of the time. Occasionally giving, because you know, you know how it goes, right? You pay tithes, but you give offerings. So they say. And so occasionally they gave an offering. The law of love liberates us. It's the law of lust that's supposed to motivate our giving. And so we see from 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 9, that we are to give. It's part of our mandate as a New Testament priesthood. That we give to the work of God. We see it clearly outlined in scripture. But we're to give purposefully. Such as we've purposed in our hearts. According to the provision that God has given. Now for many of us. Especially within our culture. We live in very. We live affluent lifestyles. That's the reality. We eat out, we, we got cable, you know. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on. The way in which we're able to enjoy relative luxury when you compare us to two-thirds of the world. And so our giving ought to be sacrificial. Our giving ought to be purposeful, as well as being cheerful. And men in ministry are supposed to be supported by the giving of the saints. That is biblical. So we do encourage and admonish giving. We do receive an offering. But we ain't going to stress it. Because we recognize that ultimately it is going to be an outflow of worship. That's what it ought to be. A lot of people are quite disarmed by the fact that we have quite a, an untraditional and informal approach. For some, that's typified by the fact that, and again, I'm going old school, ladies don't wear hats and men do. <laughs> and again, that's, that's, that's based on a misappropriated view of scripture. So in 1 Corinthians 11, we see clearly that a woman's hair is given for her covering. Now, I mean, this is how deep, this is how deep it was. When I was coming up in church, and in fact, when we were going to get married, we were in marriage counseling. And the, the thing that I remember most from our one session of marriage counseling <laughs> was... If your wife come down the aisle wearing jewelry, I will not marry her. Because she never used to wear hats to church and she wore jewelry. 
And so that's to just give you a glimpse of how deep it can get for certain people. But again, it's a, it's a misconstruction of scripture. Um, and even, you know, practically, we recognize that the portion of text, 1 Corinthians 11, is dealing with cultural issues and the need for us to be culturally sensitive as we minister the gospel. And we see that started in 1 Corinthians 10 as Paul begins to speak about meat offered to idols. So when you look at the overall context, there is a, a, another point being made there, which would have been obvious to Jews who were hearing it because the Jews, Jewish men, would not pray without their head covered. In fact, you look at the priesthood and one of the chief garments was a turban that they had to wear. And so you say, okay, well, how can it be in this part of the scripture, it is this, and in another part of the scripture, it seems to be something different. Is God really that concerned about head covering? <clears throat> and so, um, we don't place any emphasis with regards to clothing. Come as we are. I thank God that we're able to. And, you know, we will never place emphasis on that because we've all experienced. You know, I remember watching a, an unsaved guy come to church in his shorts, being told, looked up and down. You come to church in shorts. I'm being made to feel like just completely... Um, unwelcome to church. Now you can imagine what kind of impact that has on individuals who at that point could have really been exposed to, you know, the word and affected by the work of the Lord. And so such things can be just a stumbling block. So there we have it. Those things which are essential, vision and values, um, our position and practices with regards to non-essential issues. And that's it. There's no kind of like um, hidden agenda. There's no strings attached. There's no, you know, other things that are going to just kind of come out of the woodwork. We're just saying, look, this is the Bible. This is our view of scripture. This is our approach. These are the things that are essential. These are the things that are important. Let's worship God together. In our work, in our works, in our love for one another and for the lost. That's what God's called us to. And so often, so many other things complicate matters so unnecessarily. And we're just, we're just, we're real guys. You know, we've always said, look, you know what, if this ain't true, we're, we're not going to be here. We're not here to play games and play church. We're here to uphold the word of God and walk it out according to the grace that he gives us. But you can be sure that we will put the word before and above all things. Our, our aim and desire is not to give you our opinion, but to always present to you the word. Because discipleship is not you becoming disciples of us or anyone who is walking with you and helping you and discipling you. But discipleship is always based on the fact that we are disciples of Jesus. You're not disciples of Pastor Rob, Pastor P. We're disciples of Jesus. And so it's his word and it's his will and his way that we walk in and that we obey and that we keep. Amen. Praise God. Um, that concludes our foundation series. And so the next steps um, for the process are just the completion of a membership form. And the membership form has a very practical benefit. It's not just, okay, we're going to scrutinize whether we're going to accept you. But we recognize that the Bible says that we're to know those that labor among us. And in our attempts to practically get to know everyone and be able to appreciate just God's work in your life and your place in the body, 
No, just write it down. And so the membership form will just be basic, straightforward information um, about you, your Christian experience, your background, and so on and so forth, in that it contributes to helping us to, one with another, worship God and serve him more effectively. Um, And then after that, we look forward to the opportunity to meet him with each person who's put themselves forward to, for membership um, just by way of a, a short meeting, a short um, interview, if you like. And again, the process isn't for whether or not we're, we're scrutinizing you to try and catch you out. You know, you go to job interviews and you kind of feel like, you know, I'm so nervous. I don't want to say the wrong thing because they're just, they're going to they're gonna fire me before they hire me. But again, it's really just for uh, taking the opportunity to kind of get to know everyone and touch base personally. And so we're, we're really looking forward to that. Um, and they're the next stages. Um, we would definitely ask that you would remember to complete the, um, like the, the register sheets outside um, because we do want to ensure that everyone has been through the foundation series and had all of the sessions um, because as you can appreciate, having gone through it, those of you who have, you know, it's necessary information and it helps us to all be on the same page. It provides for us a confidence in being able to, when we begin to appoint people to different areas of responsibility, we know that, you know, there's some ground in there. You know, we can be more confident. It's not going to be the only thing, but we know that, okay, well, they've been exposed to this teaching and so that gives us a, a certain degree of confidence as we also observe people's character. So, let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for your tremendous goodness towards us. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you have assembled us out of the world unto yourself. And not only have you assembled us You have joined us together like car parts, Lord. We're not just parts strewn across a floor assembled in one location, but we are connected and interconnected and knitted together for the purpose of nourishing one another, for the purpose of fulfilling your mandate that we would be disciple makers who make disciples, who make disciples who glorify you. And so, Lord, we we really do just submit ourselves to you. And, Lord, I pray for every individual, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for those who have journeyed with us throughout the years. There are those who have been here since day one with regards to Calvary Chapel, South London. And they have already exhibited their commitment to you and to your people and your work among us. And Lord, we thank you for them. And we thank you that even as we undergo this process, this is just a a ratifying of what is already real. And Lord, we thank you for helping us to establish this process, Lord, especially for those who are new, Lord, and maybe uninformed and not knowing what to expect and unclear. So as to provide clarity within our relationships, So it it minimizes misunderstanding, Lord, and helps us to function together freely and effectively. And so have your way among us, Lord, we pray. We desire to see the lost saved, Lord. We desire to see your people grow in grace. We desire to see you glorified among us. Have your way among us, Lord, in our Calvary Chapel. Jesus name. Amen.